0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 705. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the book of 1 Corinthians with chapter 7. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I apologize for my voice today, but I just got off an interview for about an hour and a half and I've kind of talked myself out. 1 Corinthians 7, that may be the chapter that you read at your wedding. No, wait, that was another one, but this is another chapter about married life. Concerning married life, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command... Not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And we got to pause there for a second. So Paul is talking about marriage. And he is talking about marriage as someone who is not married. Paul is single. And when he says, I wish that everyone were as I am, he doesn't mean short or tall or uh, Jewish, he means unmarried. And he talks about that elsewhere when he refers to the other disciples, many of whom or most of whom are married, and calls out himself as someone who is not. And he feels this way because it feels that it gives him the ability to focus on the things of the kingdom of God. And certainly, while in the early church there were not the same sort of things that the Catholic Church, for instance, has had in terms of clergy that is unmarried, Paul is doing it for the same reason that that church decided to have the priest be unmarried, is that they can concentrate on their faith. And Paul says, I kind of wish you were all just that way. Now, You and I may not wish the same things, and I certainly, as someone who has been married for coming up on forty years, don't feel the same way about marriage that Paul does. And Paul, it's interesting in here, talks about things that he feels and things that are coming from God, and that's very interesting. When Paul is saying, "I'm I'm not saying that this is a teaching from God; it's something that I think is wise." So, if you have disagreements with Paul, it's always better to uh, disagree with him about the things that Paul himself is saying are not coming from God. They're coming from Paul. Anyway, the first thing he talks about here is sexual relations. And he says, some of you want to have sex. Um, you may find this to be true. I have found this to be true, that that is true for a lot of us, that there is there are sexual desires that people have. We are sexual beings. And he's saying, if you're going to do that, let's do it in marriage. And if you're in marriage, don't deny yourself that outlet for those sexual desires because it's okay in marriage but it's not great it's not good if you take it outside of that marriage and so you as a husband don't deny your wife so that she won't go off looking for it elsewhere you as a wife don't deny your husband so he won't go off looking it elsewhere that let's let's keep that in marriage and paul doesn't get into the details why he's saying that but this is a consistent theme that comes from old testament law as well first of all let's look at it in the frame of the bible And as the Bible talks about leaving sexual relations within marriage, one of the reasons for is that it produces babies and that it's better to have those babies happen within a marriage than it is if they're happening outside. Because then there's two parents and it's a lot easier and you can build up the kids and you can parent and such versus if you're going off and sleeping with people all over the place. It gets complicated. And also it gets complicated in other ways because that is such a strong feeling that if you spread that around, if you're having sex with all sorts of people, it's going to lead to some complications in your life. I think that most of us recognize the truth in that statement, even if we aren't as comfortable with monogamy as Paul is, as the Bible is, that sex gets complicated. It's pretty cool, I think. I, I happen to be a fan of it, again, within the constructs of marriage, that that's the place for it, because it's very intimate, and marriage provides a safe place for it. So, when that's part of the context here. The other context you need to understand is that in Paul's time, in the the Greek-Roman world that he lived. So I say the Greek-Roman. Corinth is obviously in Greece, but Greece is currently ruled by Rome, and the Greek and Roman had a sort of shared pantheon of gods and also shared belief system to a large extent. A little more sensual based in Greece and a little more eastern-facing and a little more western-facing and logical left-brain versus right-brain in Rome. But again, a shared culture in general. And part of the culture was that it was sort of the expectation at the time that every Roman man had his wife, he had his concubine, and then he went and slept with the temple prostitute or had sex with the temple prostitute also. There was really probably no little sleeping involved. And that was not surprising. And so Paul is speaking into a culture that these people are coming out of where there's sex all over the place, and marriage is it's not held in the high regard that the church holds it in. And especially the position of women was much weaker because of that. No one would raise an eyebrow if your husband was unfaithful to you, because they really didn't think he probably was going to be within that culture. And so... One of the things that the church changes as Christianity comes in is we're going to look at some of these passages that Paul talks about in terms of men and women, and we're going to look at them and in light of our culture, and we're going to say, wow, Paul doesn't like women very much, or boy, that, doesn't, that sounds very marial chauvinist, or there's other th- reactions we can have, but we need to understand that in the context of the time, him putting women on an equal footing with men for things like this particular issue of sex— is quite countercultural, and also him saying, "I don't do that. I don't. I'm not going to be married. I think that you all should be that way." Is also countercultural for the time. And then he, you know, more specific commands about uh, women who are unmarried. He says, you know, if you can stay unmarried, that's great. But if you're if you're burning with passion, then you know, if you feel that way about somebody, then then marry them. That's okay. And then he also talks about separation. He talks about divorce. And the general rule or the general, and I don't want to say rule here because he's definitely saying I not the Lord, is that marriage is intended to last. When you get married, you usually make some promises. We, we People talk about their forever love. That is not what you promise in marriage. You promise to love somebody until they die. Okay? That's the promises you most, most of us make when we get married. And Paul's saying we make those promises before God. Let's either not make the promises and don't get married or make the promises and keep them. Including if you marry somebody who is an unbeliever, he's saying if they stay, then, then you should stay. You should live at peace with them to the extent that you can. Saying if they leave, that's a different matter. If they can't, if they've had enough of you and they leave, then he doesn't necessarily think you should follow after them. And again, he says, "I not the Lord." So he, this is something that's coming from Paul, who has some wisdom and has some experience, but he's not saying it's a command from God. The Old Testament command was that you should not divorce, but there was provision in the Mosaic Law for divorce. It was fairly easy to divorce. For the man to divorce a woman, much, much harder for a woman to divorce a man. And again, that's not what's coming out in this. He's not giving different rules for men or women. He's saying it's a commitment, it's a promise, keep the promise. Whether you're a man or a woman, no different rules here laid down. I say rules liberally because he's not saying this is coming from God, but he's, he's advising this. The wisdom that he says is that you don't know how your unbelieving spouse will be affected by living with them. Now, if you are a positive witness for your faith, if you are living a life that is full of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those things that Paul tells us in another letter are the mark of what a Christian, a mature Christian should be or should be becoming, then that's going to have an impact on your spouse. And if you're living with somebody like that, that's going to have a positive impact. You're going to say, well, Christians are loving, Christians are joyful, Christians are peaceful, yeah, that's that's going to make it more likely that someone is going to be attracted to the faith. Now, if you're a Christian with your spouse or with anybody else, and their impression of you as Christians are hypocritical and Christians are critical and Christians are angry and Christians are mad and Christians are whatever, that is not going to attract anybody. Why would you want to be an unhappy person like that? And so, you know, part of his assumption here is that one of the reasons that you're staying is that you made the promise, and one of the reasons that you're staying is it might be good for your spouse. You may bring them to Jesus. But we don't bring people to Jesus through haranguing them very often. I can't say that I've ever heard any story where someone says, you know, fortunately, my wife harangued me until I became a Christian doesn't tend to happen. That's not what we're selling in the sense. That's not who we're called to be. We're called to be people who have a joy that comes from a relationship with God, a joy that is contagious, a love that is contagious. And so we have to put that in the context here of that's who he's expecting us to be, and that's why he's saying you don't know how that will affect your spouse. Okay, concerning change of status, nevertheless, every person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called, he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called, don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person, similar to the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. This is a verse that has definitely been taken out of context and definitely been used over time to promote that Paul is not saying anything against slavery. So we need to put it in the context here that he's saying to live at peace, to live in the situation you find yourself in, that just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you have the right to run away as a slave. Now, if you want to put this in context of Paul's life, you should also read the book of Philemon. Philemon is an interesting book because it's in one of these churches that he meets a young man by the name of Onesimus, and Onesimus runs away and becomes a runaway slave, and and while he is run away, he becomes a Christian, and he becomes useful to Paul. Onesimus, which means useful, becomes useful to Paul, and Paul in the book of Philemon, this one-chapter book, sends him back to his master and says, because he is your slave and he's run away, he he should go back to you. But I'm going to ask you as your Christian brother to set him free, because he's been useful for me in my ministry. But I'm going to put it on your conscience and let you decide it. But legally, he's still your slave, but he's also your brother now. And so he uses that One particular example, it's the only time I can think of that Paul gets away from the theoretical into the practical, personal issue here of slavery. Again, slavery was not chattel slavery like it was in the U.S. It was usually slavery because someone's people had been defeated in battle or they were sold into slavery to pay off a debt. And he's not pro-slavery. He's not anti-slavery in the same sense that we think of it. He does say if you can get yourself free, get free, because then you'll have one less master, basically. Your master would only be Christ. But he's saying you're not better or lesser as a person for being slave or being free. Right? That the person who is free is Christ's slave, and the person who is a slave is the Lord's free person. That their situation with their faith is more important than their other situation. So he's saying don't use... Your newbound faith is an excuse for changing a situation you're trying to change. Be a Christian wherever you find yourself. If you're married, stay married. If you're a slave, you know, don't worry about it unless you can get free, in which case freedom is better. But you've been bought at a price by Christ. We are all slaves to Christ. We've all been freed by Christ because Christ paid that price for us like someone would buy a slave. And that's the most important relationship. But then you, you're you going to have all these other relationships, including spouses who don't believe, including masters who may or may not be your brother in Christ. And within all those situations, we are called to be Christians. We are called to live out the love of God wherever we find ourselves. The calling to Christianity is not immediately or for everyone to go off and become a monk to go off and become Paul, to become missionary or to become someone who isn't married. He's saying, if you find yourself circumcised, stay circumcised. I didn't know that was an option to be uncircumcised, but Paul is just saying it's not as important, that status, as your status of being a Christian. And then concerning the unmarried, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one by whom the Lord's mercy is trustworthy, because of the present Crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free of such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, And if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to be married, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. So again, he's talking about he... Sees themselves in this present time—the time that he is writing at as a time of crisis, a time when the church has begun to be persecuted with the second wave of persecution. The first wave of persecution happens from the Jewish leaders; the second one from Rome. Paul is writing this, likely in chains in Rome. I don't quite remember the off the top of my head the time frame for this letter, but he certainly will be. And he's saying, in this time, time is short. Now, he may have been thinking that the world was coming to an end. It did not. Or he may have just been thinking that our time on this earth is short. But it's a time of crisis. And in this time of crisis, he wanted people to be focused on God. And marriage is distracting. And he's right. If you're married, you do need to pay attention to your spouse in addition to paying attention to your relationship to Christ. If he lived in our time, would he say the same thing? I don't know. Paul certainly talks like a bachelor when he says that those who marry will face many troubles in this life. That certainly sounds like a, something a bachelor would say. There's truth in it for sure. As someone who has been happily married most of 40 years, you know, not every year, we've we've had our times, as you will in marriage, as you will in relationships. But, you know, most people look at our marriage and say that they do pretty good. And I think it's been the best decision I have ever made, and it makes me look much smarter than I have any right to the fact that I married a good woman who has done wonderful things to make my life better just by being around. So Paul and I may not see eye to eye on these issues, and he doesn't say that he speaks for everyone, but in the situation he finds himself, he's saying marriage is distracting, and he's right. It's a pretty wonderful distraction, but he's right that it it does give you another person that you have to think about. Now, I have a friend who was married uh, and and later divorced who said that you can always find out how selfish you are by getting married. Not that you'll necessarily discover that, but you'll have someone to tell you. And that is true because you will find that you are no longer either the first or the second most important person in your life, not God and then you, but Hopefully, God, and then your spouse, and then you. And you will not always put things in that order. So Paul says, yeah, marriage is okay, but I like single life better, and you ought to be single if you can, but if you're not, that's okay too. This is why this is not read at very many weddings. We're going to read later on a passage about love that is read at a lot of weddings. It wasn't written for romantic love to be read at weddings. We'll look at that context there. We don't talk about Paul and his feelings on marriage as much because Paul's a bachelor. You know, he's a fan of marriage, but not so much a huge fan. It's kind of like you know having someone who is a celibate priest giving you marital advice, having never been married you have to take it with a grain of salt. But again, that is what Paul is saying about marriage, is that it's something that you need to look at within the context of your relationship with God. That is a very long episode of the Bible Study Podcast. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart?